Hello, everybody. Hello, masters of your own destiny. What's popping? Thank you so much, really, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for being back here with me in my basement. I'm Francisco Suarez, your host, and this is from Suarez Basement, a podcast created especially for everybody. And when I say everybody, everybody out there who is so much in love, like I am in love with visual storytelling. We have conversation with those experts in the field of communication, media, and the art, with those experts that are making it happen, that are working right now behind some of your favorite TV shows, films, musicals, play, you name it, we have it here. And now you also can visit us at www. A lot, it's a lot of W's. Spaceman.com is our new home in the internet where you can find all the library of our episodes, uh, audio and video, and a lot of fun activities that you can do there. So go and visit our home in the internet. And today, of course, it's not an exception. We have the cinematographer for a show in Apple TV called Severance, which I 100% recommend. The talented Jessica Lee Gagnet is with us. We're going to be talking not only about the Severance, the show in Apple TV, but other uh, projects that she's involved in. And of course, like I always do, I have a student who is part of the conversation. In this case, it's Christopher Asher, who is a student in the cinema and screen studies in SUNY Oswego. He's not only a big fan of the show, he is a big fan of Jessica's work, but also he wants to become a cinematographer. So I couldn't ask for a better co-host to co-host with me this episode from Suarez Basement. Thank you, WCNY in Central New York for being our partner and make this episode possible. Let's start a new show of from Suarez Basement right away. Hit it. I'm super pumped to have you today with us here in the basement. Well, I, it's lovely to be with you. I'm happy to be here. You were born in Canada. You were around nine, 10 years old. And suddenly, when did you realize, I want to be in the business of visual storytelling? Like, when do you say, this is something that I'm passionate about? Do you remember? It was gradual. Um, you know, it wasn't like, ding, idea. But um, I... I started like photography was the first was kind of my first way of me actually doing any kind of like visual work. I grew up in video stores, which you might have like heard about, but I um my dad had had many video stores and he actually I was so confused. Like I thought he had just closed all of them down, but there turns out there's like one left. Um, but um yeah, so I grew up in that world and we went to the movies a lot. And but I started doing photography just instinctively on the side. Um after my aunt passed away, I got her camera and then my grandfather gave me his cameras. And I just like ended up with everyone's cameras um, and started learning how to do it. I remember like in high school, my mom driving me to school and I was reading like a how-to photo book to just like learn, you know, apertures and, and all that stuff. And um, as I got to the end of high school, that's where it became clear that I actually wanted to work in the film industry. Um, you know, I had like this natural connection to visuals and photography. And then I was realizing that I was doing all of my projects at school as movies, you know, because like when you do these projects um, growing up, you know, teachers will give you some space to kind of create uh, what platform you want to use. Is it a presentation? And I'm like, I always just wanted to make a movie <laughs> with my friends. So um, then I realized, yeah, I read the program 
the, the college program for film and it just really clicked and that was when it became super obvious. Fantastic. So, well, yeah, I guess it's a gradual thing, but you, you knew you want to be in visual storytelling, based on what you just told me. Like, the, the same happened to me. I was always like, I want to do a movie. It doesn't matter. It was a history uh, assignment or a math assignment. I was like, no, I, I need to figure out how to put it into a story. Yeah, yeah, same, same. But I mean, it was very visual. I definitely was like having fun with that component of it. That's awesome. Jessica, I want to introduce to you one of my favorite students uh, in the world. He's an awesome individual. He is studying uh, cinema and screen studies in Sunio Spigo. And like you and me, he liked to literally put stories everywhere in a small little figurines. So uh, Chris, if you can introduce yourself and yeah. You Hello, Jessica. As you just heard, my name's Chris. Um, so one question I um, I wanted to ask you, or I, I had a few questions to be quite honest, but um, one question as I was watching your work and preparing for this show, um, I was watching Severance and um, I just wanted to know like some of the challenges on there because I was reading like I was when I was watching and then when I was reading some articles I heard that there were like a few predicaments that you ran into and I wanted to know how like some of them and like how you overcame them. Yeah I mean I feel like anything that you do in this industry you're gonna run into challenges but um <laughs> it's like it's never easy and honestly I think it's sometimes it's a good thing uh because it makes you think outside the box and do something new usually. But challenges on severance, I mean, COVID is kind of an undeniable one. We were working on the show when that hit and that really um, messed up the structure of it, you know, and made it super challenging. We had to like rethink how to, how to do our jobs, <laughs> you know, we're like, okay, yeah, some people can work from home. We can't, you know, we can't up until a certain point. So having to reimagine how to be separate from each other, but then still do a teamwork that requires you to be physically close. Um, that was quite challenging. You know, even in the, the camera department, we did something that a lot of other shows ended up doing naturally. You know, you could hear, you were kind of like listening to, oh, what are they doing? What are they doing? How can we, everyone was trying to find a solution. Like the camera department was fully divided into two different teams. So, you know, if someone tested positive in one of the, in like the green camera versus the blue camera, then, well, okay, blue, like green camera has a positive test and the green camera goes down for 10 days or two weeks, whatever it was. And then we could bring in another crew if we needed to, but we were able to never like stop or those kinds of things. It got trickier when certain people that you would lose would like, like if you lose an actor because of COVID, it's very different. Um, but yeah, that, that was probably the biggest challenge of all of it. Wow, I, I I actually didn't even expect that when I when I read some uh, some things I heard that a lot of like the lighting was uh, a, one of the biggest challenges on the set, but um, that must be absolutely bizarre trying to to split your entire crew in half and yeah. try to work with you know if just that one single person goes out then you lose an entire section of your crew. Yeah, it got really difficult. You know, I even had to get myself ready for me testing positive fortunately I didn't during the show which was I was I felt very lucky but um I was ready to you know I had an assistant and like ready for that person to be in there with like me on FaceTime and just like moving around and helping out and trying to be there you know I was like I can do it but we all had to get ready for that um which was interesting I mean the lighting was also challenging that's a that's a whole other question it was challenging because 
I felt stuck, you know? Um, and, and what, how I was able to like feel space, uh, in terms of the office stuff was really like flexing, uh, my mind and thinking about how to cover stuff in a more interesting way with Ben, you know, and like, we really pushed ourselves. Like for me, I had energy that usually I would spend on lighting that now I really needed to like focus somewhere else. Cause I can't just, I, I have, I'm very, I need to be doing something. So, um, we really embraced that and we were able to be like, okay, we have more energy to focus on being more, even more creative because we don't have all these other limitations that come with lighting, you know? Um, and that was really fun. And then also like being able to, you know, think of little moments where we could make something special, whether it was the emergency lighting or like a moment where they turn the lights off at the end of the day. We're like, well, if we're going to turn the lights off, we're going to do something special. So everything became like exciting. <laughs> But that's that's it. That's the beauty of that show. I mean, uh, for me, that show is kind of a it is a masterpiece because I I, I always say it's three components that you need to have in a good visual storytelling, good writing, which is phenomenal, because the concept is so bizarre and so complex that if it's not well written, it can go wrong very quickly. Mm. So you need to know what you're doing in order to tell the story in a way that you keep your viewers interested but also informed right it's educating your, your, your viewers about this is what the story is about the acting is phenomenal and of course then you have all the production design and director and cinematography how challenging it was to understand the concept when you received that script what yeah. do you thought that's a really good question i mean i was afraid of it but more of like uh from a dp perspective having to shoot in an office so much but Honestly, once at one point I like found this photo book, and for me it was the symbol of the show. Like visuals, it was like, oh, this is this is it. Like this is the vibe. And then I, I kind of like opened a, a pathway in my mind that was like, oh, this can be really special visually. And then like Ben and I had a lot of fun developing that, and with the production designer as well. It really was like teamwork. But the one thing that was really really important that I don't think we all really noticed until the whole thing kind of came together was balance um you know and that on all three fronts like from casting to visuals to the storytelling being able to like balance the humor with the darkness with the emotional um that that and I think Ben did that really well ultimately you know being like kind of like overall leader of this thing that's the thing that was achieved and I think most of the time it's not achieved. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the thing probably I'm most proud of the show is like how we were able to all balance that. Um, so essentially, I just wanted to know what it was like for you as a female um, trying to break into the film industry because I mean, anybody that is my age or you as you broke into the industry, anyone knows that it is kind of hard to get in and you know also being a female I can only imagine you know how many more difficulties there were um you know the thing the thing I'm realizing that's becoming very clear now in my life because people are asking me this question they've been asking me this question for years now and I I grew up like not totally understanding gender in the sense of um gender roles, I think just because of the way my father treated me, uh, it was just very much like there was no, you're a girl, you need to like be this way or a guy, like you're just gonna be able to do everything. Like he was very much like, 
you need to be able to do everything. <laughs> Sometimes that was rough, but um, I never like felt like I couldn't do anything. And then also in Quebec, I was lucky enough that there were some really strong female cinematographers like circling around like there was so there was maybe like four dps growing up that i was like oh yeah these guys are like the top ones and there's this one dp called sarah michera who i really admire and admired and for some reason i think having her there like made it easier for me to just be like oh i can do this you know and at, at the level that i want the one thing I, then when i started looking outside of quebec then i was like oh there's less then i, re I really felt it i was like there are no you know there were not, not many women, it's hard to say no, but like that were working at that like top level. And um, I don't know, that bothered me and it still kind of does bother me, you know, like you want that to be equal and obviously it takes time for things to, to change. Um, and those role models, like they have to, have to step up and you have to do the things and you have to put yourself in these situations that no one else has ever done. And, and then I also went to work in India, which is why you thought I was born in India. Um, that was really jarring because I think I was on a set that probably I'd be surprised if anyone on that set had actually worked with another woman cinematographer on a project like that. So um, it really started clicking to me how important it was that I step into like that light and that role with strength. And um, I remember like this one shot we were doing, I was on a rooftop, I had to run backwards with the camera and it was on, there was, it was these clay tiles and I kept, my feet kept coming, through, like breaking through the tiles cause I'm running back with the camera. So I'm like stomping, you know and the actress running towards me I'm tethered to a crane. And there's all these like kids watching me and I kept like, I, I was really struggling to get the shot. It was a really hard shot. And the grip asked me, do you want me to like do it for you? And in that moment I was like, no, like it is so important that I do this shot and no matter what the outcome is, I just need to do it. And that kind of like gave me the energy to just, just, I just got it. Like it was fine. Like we ended up doing the shot. It was really difficult, but I just couldn't stand the idea of those kids, like seeing me like give that camera off to the man and let him do it. So, I mean, you know, it's a big question, but that's, that's my experience in it, you know? And I, over the years, like, I just think it's really important that I just keep going. Well, I think so. And I think you're doing fantastic, fantastic work. And let's talk about those relationships because you were very close with the director. So I have kind of uh, two questions in one. One is for those audience out there that always ask themselves, like I hear cinematographers, can you define to us very simple, what do you think is your job? Meaning what is a cinematographer job? Well, it depends on the director. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the first way you have to define it is, you know, you're filling a need uh, for the director. You're basically the visual partner of a director. And depending on, because like once you're able to find the partner that allows you to create how you want to create, you're going to be better at what you do. But you have to figure that out for yourself. So that, that's... But that's a good question because I think the relationship that you have established with uh, with the director of the servants, Ben Stiller, is that it seems that you guys have been able to create a very good, open 
<laughs> open relationship. That sounds <laughs> very very weird, <laughs> but uh, a strong relationship where you can actually have that open uh, communication, and because you can see it in the screen for sure. Is this the case uh, with Ben? Yeah, totally. I think that you know, I mean, he has a lot going on on set. You know, especially you're directing all these actors in one scene, so it takes like a good partner to be able to really uh, help digest all of that and I think we're just about like what's the best option what's the best idea that's one thing he showed me early on uh I, I hadn't worked I think with someone that was like that open to hearing other people's processes and ideas ultimately he's making the decision you know he's like pick, he's picking the shots and picking the, and making the edit and like making sure that the whole thing is orchestrated and he was able to achieve that balance and severance but the openness and the like the the just being okay with that with with like including people in the process whether it's the production design or costume like what do you like he wants to hear people's ideas he doesn't just like sit in a meeting and like okay you know what I mean like that has led to such an amazing collaboration and you really see it in severance and, I, and on my part I felt like it's just allowed me to be a better DP honestly that is freaking that is just so cool. I I have a, a question to kind of follow up on that. Would you say that um, the industry leans more towards, or I guess directors in the industry, I should say, you think they lean more towards the cinematographer being involved in the creative process or you're more detached from it? Because I know you said that it was based off of the director, but... I have this... I... This, there's not like one answer it's it's a uh, it's so dependent on the director you know I think you have directors like the Coen brothers who will come in and they're like from what I've seen I don't know them but I know from interviews you know they're like they have their boards and they're shooting their boards and that's their vision and and then you have other directors that will come in with like no shot list and it just like it's like let's watch the rehearsal and then we'll figure out what the shots Ben and I work more in that style but we usually have like there's always an idea I think I think we have a mix we have a, a mix and I think that's what gives the show also visual structure and allows it for having like bigger shots that you know you need to plan for but there's scenes where it's like he's like I want to see what the actors are going to do so he wants to like give them space uh, and we're so quick and we know the language really well and the team like really knows what they're doing. So we're able to, you know, we're lucky to work with really great people so we can get stuff done really fast. And then there's more complicated visual shots like the episode three, um, when you're switching from Innie to Audi or episode two, Heli going Innie to Audi through those doors with well, one and two, like those kinds of sequences are planned way in ahead, way ahead. And the actors know that, you know, okay, this is like, we're trying to achieve a technical thing because there's like the visual storytelling has to go further than just what the actor gives you. We're really playing with the medium at that point. So when you're doing that, then you need to, you know, th then everyone needs to work together. But the rehearsal process and seeing what they're doing, like you can have an idea going in, but the biggest strength I think Ben has is he's able to throw it away and be like, no, 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 this is happening and it's better and it's stronger. And, you know, some of that maybe also comes from his background as an actor and understanding and like really respecting the actors. Um, but then he's also able to be like, oh no, this is like a visual sequence. We need to plan it. And then like, I, we can work together and figure that out. But Jessica, I have a question because I know a lot of students, we talk about, you know, what you do, what is the cinematographer, but it's a business side of everything, right? Uh, that's what it is. 
how my favorite side. The perfect, yeah, the, your favorite side, the business side. But it's true. I mean, a lot of students like how I make it, how how I find an agent, how should I start doing my stuff, and then an agent will find me. How was your journey in that sense, and how it works? I have an unconventional journey, um, but you know what? Like, I really think there's no answer. Um, all I can say is like what what happened with me and that can inspire someone or not, you know, but um, I went towards my agents. <laughs> so I wrote to them. Uh, I knew, but like that's, I just knew I was gonna work internationally. Like I just had that craving for it. Like I love traveling. I love being in different places and being in different cultures. It's just been something that I was naturally driven to in life. So I was like, well, I have to make this work for me because I, you know, if you get stuck in a loop, you can, you can be in there for a long time, especially if you start working in the industry and you know, you, you find people that you work well with, like it's going to go fast and you'll get stuck in a rhythm. So I had to like quit everything and leave to um, kind of re put, regenerate that energy and start something else. And I reached out to Lux in Europe, wrote to um, the, the head agent there and she wrote back saying, yeah, we'd love to have you. That was after I had had movies that went to festivals, obviously. So I think there is like, you know, you have to use your common sense in terms of like, if you have nothing out there, you're not going to get an agent. Um, work on getting stuff in festivals. That's the best way to get that. Because once you have traction, or like if you have a movie that went to any like fairly big festival, then, then I think it's valid to start reaching out. Um, if you're already like super busy and, and you have films and TV work that's like in motion, they might come to you. I also went to my American agents. I, I asked to interview three, I did three different interviews at three different agencies that I reached out to. Um, and I kind of went with my gut, like who really felt like they were gonna be there for me? You know, who was there to like really listen to me? And Matt Coatsworth at UTA signed me. Um, and yeah, he's still like my agent, you know? Like, and I haven't changed agencies. <laughs> Cause that's the thing, a lot of people change and that's like, okay, also that's, that's both things are very accepted in the industry. It's just kind of like, you're trying different things. Um, for me, it's been great. Like I, I see them as people to um, get advice from. Uh, it's not just people who do contracts for you. You know, it's like a sounding board and they're watching your career in a specific way and seeing you grow. So, you know, I really value their advice in that way as well. So Jessica, we, we, uh, we could be here. Listen, like I said, I have my coffee with me. It's a beautiful morning here, finally. The weather got better, so we could be here the entire day for me. I know you are busy, but um, using here all day too, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's wrap up uh, in the sense that I do have uh, two final questions for you, and then of course Chris can have his final question. But one is very simple and kind of silly. But are in the TV show servants, which I'm in love with, uh, how many hallways are really there? Like, is this is this said really like? five seven six twenty hallways or do you use like two and make it look like it's more than one you know there's like this one photo i've been wanting to share but i'm gonna have to ask ben's permission um because i'm not you know i don't sometimes with these behind the scene things you're it's kind of like oh what can i show what can i not show right. there's like there's a structure and there's a reason for the structure uh but like I have these miniature model photos of the models that Jeremy built originally to like, cause Ben really likes like little 3D models. So they had made our stages up on them and you can see the hallways. So we had three different stages. Um, by that, I mean like uh, 
you know, we worked at this one studio in the Bronx and in the studio you have different stages. Does that make sense? Like, you guys yeah, are yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one of, two of them were all um, Lumen Underground World. And one of them was Mark's house, the basement, Cobell's house, um, and then Cobell's basement at one, at one point. So, the, so we had two stages that were dedicated to the Innie world. Obviously MDR was like the core of one of the stages. And then all the way around MDR, there was hallways and offshoot to different other different sets like wellness, um, the viewing room, the elevator lobby. You know, you can you could walk from the elevator lobby all the way to MDR, but we never showed the real trajectory. We always made it look longer. So um, that the whole wraparound of that set was one of the perimeters for the, the hallway. And there was a lot there to work with. And then we had another one, which was basically a crossroads that was on the second stage. And you see the crossroads in episode Two for the first time with the when Chris and John have that moment together that crossroads was reinvented into so many other hallways and we had like offshoots off that crossroad like we would block it make it like a long hallway for when they go down to the perpetuity wing and then we would add like door here and then like add a return over here add green screen or no you know depending just to constantly make it different but the hallways were one of the biggest challenges because we had to constantly reinvent them and when we were moving the sets around, because they're like, like, it's like Lego pieces. That's kind of how this like set was made. You had the anchor points, like Cobell's office is an anchor. The locker room oh, over above ground was also a specific set. And then, then we'd have like movable sets that would be, you know, the ficus room, which is like the plant room was also the room where they had the carpet, you know, at one point. And then it was mirrored. So, I mean, it wasn't the same room, but it was in the same place. So the schedule had to be built on how these stages had to, how these sets had to move around. So like once something was shot out, we could, you know, switch it off and have a new set come in. And then sometimes it was like, okay, well, we know that for this scene, we want to do the hallway like this, but that means we can't shoot this other scene because we want the hallway like this. So like the scheduling became really complicated and it was a lot, but like someone has to figure out how many, uh, you guys say yards, I say meters, how many, like what yeah. the actual length right. is. And I think we, we should do that for season two comes out. We'll have to like have someone calculate that. Yeah, that would be a good one, a good exercise. <laughs> Chris? Um, so I guess uh, just as a wrapping up question for me, um, one thing I've wanted to ask you, I guess, if you had to just say like one thing to someone like me who is trying to break right into that industry, is is there anything that you that you would say, whether it's like advice or like a phrase of hope or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, phrase of hope, I, I, first of all, just do it. That's always the first line, you know, <laughs> it's a very obvious <laughs> one, but I think like be optimistic because be optimistic and open to new ways of storytelling. Maybe, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot more space now to create. Um, and it's interesting what's happening, you know, like there, what um, your teacher is saying basically there that you can, you have the tools to do it like you know and you do not have to follow any model for storytelling people are kind of ready to absorb things in very different ways now and understanding that that like there's freedom there i think is really cool um because it doesn't have to fit in a box like it doesn't have to be projected in a theater it doesn't need to be seen on an iphone it can be what you want it to be so do what feels right for you um and like believe in it yeah oh, that that I, I actually I happen to like that a lot because uh, 
I see with myself and other people that I go to school with and everything, sometimes we really do find ourselves stagnant and stuck in one particular field of filming. And yeah, I, I guess that's what kind of gives me a little bit of the nervousness or like a little bit of the jitters of, you know, trying to dive into the real world and uh, explore all the different uh, angles of filming. Well, the platforms are there and the tools are there and people are like ready to watch stuff. So I don't know. I think there's like a lot of space. Um, it's just getting out there and doing it. Like you have to just do it. That's the scariest thing. But like, I think that's why I've been able to um, accelerate my career the most is just because I'm like, I'm just going to do it. You just want to jump right in. We want to thank you so much for your time. It really, um, again, I know for a fact that people like you that are doing amazing work that take 20 minutes of their time to come and speak to the students and to share with the students uh, what your life is and what you do and how you enjoy it. It means the world to them. It means the world to me as a professor. So we appreciate very much that you took the time to do this podcast. That's my pleasure. Yes. Same here. I, I can back up Professor Suarez with anybody like me would be ecstatic to be listening to this. It, it, such a pleasure. And Chris, thank you for being my co-host. You did such an awesome job. Thank you, Professor. Thank you for having me. All the luck in the world and thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Bye.